Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Not wearing maroon today. Wear my black Mississippi State National Championship College World Series shirt. I scale maroon on it, but it counts. Isn't it great that we live in a world and a country in which we can celebrate Maroon Friday as we choose? I love Maroon Friday. I love seeing everybody walking around with their school colors on, especially if it's maroon. But I like it anyway. You know, it's like, I mean, I don't want to see too many Ole Miss people, but and that's the best thing about Fridays, man. It's like it gets you all fired up for the weekend. And, you know, when I was in a retail furniture business, you know, during football season, we'd let people on you know, Fridays and Saturdays wear the jerseys of their choice, whether it be a high school jersey, their college jersey, an NFL jersey, just whatever. We had, we had great football weekends, let people do it, because people love football, man. We all do. So maybe you're wearing a, uh, maybe you're wearing a Wayne Madigan jersey today. Maybe you are. I still got one in the back of the closet somewhere. But, no, it's great, man. It's a, it's a big weekend on the Mississippi State campus. We've got a lot going on. Mississippi State uh, got a lot of sporting events. A lot of you are coming to town. We're already beginning to see the arrival of some of our out-of-town guests. So welcome to Stark Vegas. If you're on the way here, be careful. Drive safely. Enjoy the drive. All roads that lead to Starkville, pretty cool. Nice, scenic. You don't have a lot of nonsense out there. Usually pretty smooth traffic because you're going to the great place. Going to Starkville. Which kind of reminds me of something we're going to address kind of in the, uh, in the first segment of the show. Is, uh, you know, some people make these negative comments about Mississippi State and about Starkville sometimes. Let, let, me, let me just share with you my own experiences. I, I don't know your standard of living. I don't know what you need to feel like that you're at home. I have never felt more at home anywhere in the world than I do in Starkville, Mississippi. I love being here. I love the fact that it is sort of quaint. I love the fact that it's a college town. I love the fact that it's not a major metropolitan area. You know, and sometimes I have to travel to go cover the Bulldogs or go to a rock show or something, and I got to go to some of those places, and they're nice places to visit. I just don't know that I'd want to live there. You know, I spent 16 years in Baton Rouge. That felt like a metropolis after growing up in Columbia, Mississippi. Baton Rouge is a great town. A lot changed after Katrina, though. It didn't hold the same attraction for me. A lot changed. The infrastructure just simply couldn't handle all the, the influx of new residents. For a while there, Baton Rouge was the fastest-growing city in the country. But we did what we had to do to help you know, our neighbors manage through a crisis. But it changed. It wasn't the same place. So I packed up and moved back to Mississippi, where I always wanted to be. Well, maybe that's not fair. You know, when I was a kid, I I couldn't wait to get out of small-town Mississippi and kind of see what the world had to offer. 
Only one of my four kids was born in Mississippi, the other three born in Baton Rouge, but I'm so glad they had both experiences. You know what I'm saying? It's like they understand now. You know, it's like, hey, there's value in both. There's value in having the convenience of the bigger city. There's also a lot of things that are negative, you know, the detriment, there's crime, there's a lot of traffic. People are always in a dead gum hurry. People don't take time to say hello and visit. You come to Starkville, it's a lot different. Small town Mississippi is a great place. It is. We don't have as many shopping options. We don't have a shopping mall. We don't have a dip and dots. We don't have food court. You know what? All that's okay. I've had all that and it gives me a greater appreciation for what we have now. So I like our little town. I don't want to, I don't I don't want Starkville to ever become Baton Rouge. There's no danger of that happening. But I don't want that. There is a charm with our city that's just different. It's just different. One thing's that I, and I ran into uh, you know, one of the guys that runs the Starkville Cafe and and um, yesterday I, I was uh, eating lunch in town, ran into him. And you know, it's like you know, the thing that I, I enjoy about this place is that everywhere I go, and, and the granted, I mean, I'm in the public eye a little more than you guys are, but you know, even if Mississippi State wasn't here, I'd want to be here because the people are great. I mean, everywhere you go, everybody you meet wants you to go home and eat supper with them. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a great group of people to live here. And of course, the university, obviously, is the biggest employer in the city. But, you know, it's, it's like we have a major university kind of on the outskirts and the suburbs of our great little town. And so I'm going to talk about some of those things today in the first segment of the show. We're going to preview the, uh, the weekend, talk a little bit about the top ten list, talk about some other Bulldog heroes. So it'll be a good show. I hope it's a payday for you, too. For most of you, it should be. Get out and come to Starkville. Come be with us, man. Bring your cowbell. Get ready to yell like H-E-L-L. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Man, I love those folks, too. And one of the things that I love about Bulldog Burger Company, too, is they're part of a family of restaurants that you can do a little, you can get a little bit of everything, right? But Bulldog Burger Company is a place that, you know, kind of specializes in, ironically, hamburgers. But they're not limited to hamburgers. But if you're looking for a great restaurant-quality burger... Look no further than Bulldog Burger. You'll be glad you did. One of the things that I love about there, too, is the fact that, you know, some days, you know, I've got friends that want to go. They say, hey, Steve, I really want to go get a smokehouse. Cool, let's go. And maybe I don't feel like a, a, a burger for lunch, so I'll, I'll get that BLT salad. And if I eat just about all of that, a lot of times I don't even want to eat a big supper. Great portions, great prices, great people. And that matters to me. I don't know how you feel about that sort of stuff. I like doing business with people of character. I like doing business with people that are committed to my community. So I like to eat local. I shop local. Bulldog Burger Company is local. Three great locations to serve you. Right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the brand new in Lake Harbor Drive there in the Flowood area. Go by and check them out. Today, you'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Let me encourage you, too, if, if, you can, if you've got any room left, get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. It'll keep all overnight, too. It's like if you need to get a couple of sips to kind of cleanse the palate, you can put that bad boy in the fridge and have it the next morning. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so let's get into this whole thing. You guys may remember, too, Brad Bohannon, the coach from Alabama, had some negative things to say about Starkville. 
not necessarily Mississippi State, but you basically, well, I guess maybe he did. You know, the only reason you go to Mississippi State is to play sports. You know, said some negative things about Stargold. Now, here's what I have been told. I know some people that know Brad Bohannon very, very well. And they said, you know what? As soon as those comments began making the rounds and everything, he was on the phone and said, man, guys, I blew it. I made a mistake. I did. I'm sorry. I did. And he does come off looking pretty bad to deal. He does. But the people that I know that know, I know, that know him – you know, tell me that's not really consistent with his character. And, you know, I like to give people benefit of the doubt whenever we can. Of course, I like to judge people based on how, what they tell us, too. But, um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, Brad Bohannon said that. You know, he said, you know, basically took a shot at Starkville. Now, if you want to let Brad Bohannon know about how you feel, don't go get on Twitter. Don't send an email or a pigeon or a telegram or anything like that, come to Duty Noble Field this evening at 5 p.m. There's a 14-inning scrimmage, and it is just a scrimmage. Okay, we're going to get some guys some work. It's a glorified practice. But maybe show up out there and support your team. You know, rather than being, you know, fighting fire with fire, go out there and maybe let's show Alabama what Mississippi State baseball is really all about. You know, he got a good, a pretty good sampling last year, and we went down there and swept them in Tuscaloosa when they had everything to play for. But I think rather than, you know, firing off pithy comments and that sort of stuff and maybe saying things you regret, you know, take that energy and let's focus on the fact that, um, you know, we're the national champions. That doesn't mean you got to get out there and talk trash to Brad Bohannon. You flip it. Come out there and show them that how great this Mississippi State fan base is. I mean, they should know. But this is a scrimmage. A lot of people are thinking, oh, you know, it's just a scrimmage. You know, what, what if, you know, six, seven, eight, nine thousand people showed up at the scrimmage? What would that be like? Wouldn't that be cool? Now, I'll be signing books, so I won't be able to be there. I'm going to be at uh, tonight from 5.30 to around 8.30 or 5 to 8.30. I'm going to be downtown at Book Martin Cafe signing books as part of the city's Unwind event. So if you're uh, looking to come out, have a good time while you're in town, do a little shopping or whatever, come by, say hello, come buy some books. They got all four of my available books in stock there. Now, Saturday, I'll be at Campus Bookmart from noon to three. Dogpile's not out yet. If you want to order that, you go to dogpilethebook.com. It's not available yet. They still hadn't given me a firm you know, delivery date. So you know, we'll see how things continue to progress. But uh, we're still selling a bunch of those books every day. People are beginning to realize that we're just over two months away from Christmas. And listen, we're going to have a second printing, okay? Let me go. I'm just kind of create, you know, the right picture for you here. You know, we're going to sign books all the way through baseball season. I'll do some game day signings, you know, during uh, during baseball season, kind of like we do with football. So you'll have opportunities, you know, to come out and get books personalized or whatever. But if you want them for Christmas, your best bet is to order through dogpilethebook.com. And, of course, you can get – Flam Flam Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, all right there as well. So back to the Bohannon stuff. So Lamonis, John Sokoloff asked Chris Lamonis about it yesterday. And I'll be honest, I was kind of surprised. It kind of took me out of, you know, kind of out of the field a little bit. You know, that this has happened for a while, but it's been the first time that we've seen Lamonis in a media setting, I guess, since it all happened. And so John Sokoloff asked Chris about it. I even read some of the comments to him, you know. And so here is what your coach, national championship coach of the year, great guy, our coach, Crystal Mona said. 
I've been friends with Brad for a long time. I'm sure he's talking off the record. Well, in fact, he wasn't. I think he was actually speaking with Eli Gold. His coaches, we get on record and off record. I love Starkville, Mississippi. People like to knock us in recruiting. Hey, it's a small town, but aren't most SEC towns, small country towns? It just kind of cracks me up. I've been to Charleston, South Carolina, and Louisville, Kentucky. I've been to great towns everywhere. I've enjoyed it. Maybe he wouldn't like it. I try not to get into that too much. I don't think it was meant that way. It was done. That's all I've got to say on that. It'll be a great atmosphere to have them here for a scrimmage tomorrow night, which is tonight. He's done a great job. They have great, good talent. It's going to be a really good night with baseball, then basketball, and then football the next day. We have a big recruiting weekend. Everybody's excited about football right now after the big win two weeks ago. It should be a lot of fun in Starkville this weekend. So, of course, I think Chris may be a little bit surprised by the question, but also, too, he takes the high road, as you would expect, right? That's what should happen. But uh, I just, you know, I, I don't think it's a, uh, I don't think it's a big deal, you know. Um, but here's the thing that I know that uh, you know people have, um, people have a lot of questions, you know, when these things get out there, because you know you, you don't get a lot of barbs traded in college baseball media type stuff. You know what I'm saying? It just you know, it just doesn't move the needle. You know, football coaches talk a little trash every now and again. Most of the time, people just kind of keep it together. But um, there are sometimes, of course, as you know, that there is a war of words sometimes. And sometimes there are some veiled comments made about coaches or programs or towns or whatever. You know, Steve Spurrier was the king of doing that sort of stuff, the absolute king. He's the one that uh, donned Florida State as Free Shoes University. It's still funny to me all these years later. You know, they used to absolutely have wars with Tennessee every year, and Spurrier won most of those. And, of course, uh, you know, Florida was going to the Sugar Bowl or playing in a BCS Bowl game. And, you know, kind of the runner-up went to the Florida Citrus Bowl. Spurrier said one time in a post, post-game press conference, you know, you, you can't spell citrus without UT, talking about Tennessee. I, I, I kind of miss that sort of stuff. I miss that banter. I really do. And, uh, you know, it's just like he made some comments – you know, uh, when Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> joined the SEC, he said, you know what, hey, you're losing the Big 12, you can lose in the SEC too, you know. I think you need some colorful characters like that from time to time. Now, opposing fans don't like it. But we all love it when it's not directed at our team, right? It's true. And, you know, the old ball coach, man, he was the best. He really was. I guess he's still the best. He just doesn't coach anymore. Gets up, plays a little golf. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate we have Steve Spurrier Jr. here. Every so often I'll, I'll hear a, an update on on, uh, on Coach Spurrier. It's a pretty cool thing. But, uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing, you know, with these coaches is that uh, baseball, it just doesn't really happen that often. You know, people just don't – people don't really say a whole lot. You know, they just they just go about their business. But, you know, I, Chris handled it well, as you would expect. But it's been addressed. Now we move on, and we get a chance to play them this weekend. And I'm sure that uh, Bohannon's probably got his guys kind of fired up, thinking, "Hey, you get a chance to go in there and win at Duty Noble Field." I hope that's not the case. We're playing pretty good baseball right now. Now, one thing's I'll share with you too. You know, and it's one of those things that you forget. And I had some comments uh, with a couple people last night after the media opportunity. You know, it's one thing to watch guys, you know, on the field. You see pictures and stuff. You know, we were at field level yesterday for the first time since 2020 man and so it's been you know year and a half 
since we had been on field level, done any of the interviews or any media stuff. You know, Chris got to do the Zoom calls for a while, but we were on the field yesterday, and so you're field level with our players. And, you know, I was around these guys a lot last year. You know, I cover road baseball, home baseball. You know, nobody covers more Mississippi State baseball than me. And I say cover, I mean, actually, like, goes to the games. But we're a bigger baseball team. And, and this is in no way casting a shot at anybody that made comments about how little we are, which is still stupid. But uh, saw Brad Cumbus yesterday, and, uh, you know, Brad's not doing football. And, uh, and I suspect this will be the last season that Brad Cumbus is on our campus. I, I fully expect Brad to get drafted. Guys, Brad is bigger than he was last year. He appears to be. Preston Johnson – Looks trimmer, but actually weighs heavier. I joke with him a little bit. I say, hey, what you weighing these days? He kind of grinned and laughed. Oh, about 260. I got to trim up a little bit. He looks trim at 260. But, you know, in order to get deeper in ball games, you know, he's going to have to trim up a little bit, kind of improve his stamina some. But, uh, you know, he is a guy that's kind of pushing for a starting spot. I don't know what exactly his role is going to be. I haven't pitched a whole lot in the fall. But those weekend rotation spots are wide open. Absolutely wide open. Now, I expect Landon Sims to start on Friday. A lot of people are like, oh, Steve, man, well, who's going to you know, work the black couple of innings for us? That's a good question. It really is. You got to get there with the lead first. But, you know, Landon Sims, if he wants to be a professional player, he wants to be a first or second or third rounder, he's got to start. That's simple. He's got to start. So he is going to be one of your weekend starters. Outside of that, it's pretty wide open. You know, Jackson Fristo is a guy that uh, at times showed some real flashes, kind of faded a little bit down the stretch. But he, he has the arm talent. He throws with great velo. He really does. It's just a matter of kind of harnessing that a little bit and working on control. Of course, you got Cade Smith. That's a guy that we, we're really excited about. We thought we might even lose him to the draft. You know, he's coming out of high school. Guy can really pitch. Was really good in Omaha, too. Probably didn't expect to pitch in Omaha, but did a great job out there. You know, he's a guy, we've got to get him healthy and keep him healthy, but I think he's a guy that can really help us. Brandon Smith's a guy that's a, a proven commodity. You know, does Brandon become middle relief guy? Does he uh, challenge for a starting spot? Does he become a closer? I don't know. You know, that's the thing. you got a lot of arms out there. You'll figure some things out. And I know there are some of these younger guys, these high school guys that they're really excited about. You know, Jack Walker being one for sure. It's a guy that's got good velo and good control, doesn't walk a lot of people. And so I, I, just, I don't spend any time worrying about that. I, I don't invest my emotional energy into, man, what's the Mississippi State pitching rotation going to be come February? It's October. We've got four months to figure those things out. Scott Foxhall will figure those things out. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, and when you read Dogpile, you know, there's some things that you forget because I forgot him. As close as I am to the baseball team, I forgot him. You know, you forget the fact that Landon Sam's a middle reliever at the beginning of the year. He kind of transformed into the closer role, you know, a little bit later. But he didn't start out as the closer. You know, Drew McGowan started out as our starting left fielder and then didn't make the travel roster at Omaha. He went down there, and that's not in any way casting any aspersions at Drew. I'm just talking about how things change, you know, over the course of a season. Landon Jordan was our everyday third baseman to start the year and then quit the team. I feel bad for that kid. I really do. 
Cam James started out at shortstop, booted the ball around, moved him to third down the stretch. He might have been our best defender. Guy was outstanding at Omaha. So we begin to, you know, kind of think about moving forward now. You know, some of these position battles, you know, to be honest with you, based on what I hear, I believe that two of the position battles in the outfield are pretty much settled. Compass in left, Kellum Clark in right. Clark's got to get a little bit better defensively. You still got Braywin Skinner and Jess Davis bowing out in center. That's not to say that some other guys won't play occasionally. You know, because you make DH one of those guys. You make DH Kellum Clark a game or two. Let some young guys get some some defensive work. But, uh, you know, center field, Braylon Skinner, Jess Davis. I think Braylon's a little bit ahead of him offensively right now. You watch him, Braylon, yesterday. He's really leveled out his swing a little bit. He kind of had that uppercut deal where he kind of stepped out a little bit and his plate coverage wasn't the best. You know, watching him yesterday, of course, it's not live pitching. He seems to have kind of corrected some of that. So, yeah, we're going to be really athletic in the outfield. And I think you begin to look at the, you know, the infield. You know, as Chris Simona said yesterday, we got the best defensive shortstop in the country, Lane Forsyth. And I believe that's probably true. If you watch a lot of college baseball, you don't see a lot of people making plays as smoothly as he does. He makes a lot of things look easy. A lot of difficult things look easy. Got great hands, great transfer, big arm. And you look at him and you think, man, this guy's kind of small. He is, but he can pick it and stick it. Man, I really love that kid. Got to get him going a little bit offensively, but that guy is outstanding defensively. Outstanding. Second base, you know, still kind of up for grabs a little bit. I had a chance to uh, meet R.J. Yeager in person yesterday. He is a bigger kid. Now, he is a – he's thin. You know, he's not like – he's not big like Brad Cumbust. He's kind of big like Cameron James. You know, long, lean, athletic. Guys hit four dingers in fall ball. You know, so that's an element until you look at offensively. Probably finds his way in at second. He's not going to beat out Lane Forsyth short. But he can go play the middle infield and play at second. Luke Hancock, guys, I'll be honest with you, Luke Hancock looks like he's put on about 10 pounds, and it's good muscle. He looks outstanding. Now, Lamona says he's going to catch a little bit too. He said because they understand, you know, his professional position is going to be catcher. So, which probably means that maybe he catches like the middle game of a three-game weekend or maybe catches some in the midweek and then allows, you know, one of the younger guys to play first. Because Luke is going to be gone after this year. He had some professional opportunities this year, but uh, just couldn't get the money he was looking for, so he told Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. 
That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Team's about to draft him. But guys, we're going to be good at baseball again. You know, a lot of people are thinking, oh, you know, without T.A. and Rowdy, man, you know, they lose Bednar. And all that's true. It's tough to replace guys that uh, have contributed so much to Mississippi State, not to mention the first-round guy that's a Friday night guy. You lose that guy. And Christian McLeod up and down a little bit last year, too. But as I've said many times, we don't get to Omaha without him. And Houston Harding, you're like, oh, man, what do we do? Guys, all due respect to those guys. We had one consistent starter throughout the year. That was Will Bednar. Scott Fox all kind of pieced it together. Outside of that, Christian McLeod, of course, went out there and pitched. A lot. And a lot of games we won, he got no decision in. So it was kind of like, you know, we had one dominant guy. We had another pretty good guy that kind of lost it late in the year. But outside of that, it was by committee. So sometimes he threw first throw. Sometimes he threw Brandon Smith. Sometimes he threw Houston Harding. Guys, Foxhall has got probably more pieces to work with in that respect this year than he did last year. Scott knows what he's doing. So I'm not going to sit here and worry about what the rotation is going to be. You know, my biggest concern with the pitching is just going to be, you know, we've gotten so used to Landon Sims, you know, kind of being a game changer. You know, who who takes on that role? You know, who's going to be the guy to come out there and be the closer? Who's going to have that bulldog mentality to go out there and blow the ball by people? That's the biggest concern to me on this team. We're going to be able to score a lot. We're going to be able to pitch it. It's worried about our ability to close losing Landon Sims. And, of course, you know, again, maybe that's Preston Johnson. Maybe it is. Maybe it's Brennan Smith. Maybe it's Walling. Who knows? We'll kind of see how things progress. But, uh, you know, they got four months to figure it out, man, before we got to hit the field. You know, this time last year, Spencer Price is going to be our closer, 
Remember that? Oh, you forgot? Yeah. It's been a surprise. Love that guy to death, man. You know, he went out there and pitched and was ineffective in a couple ball games. Next thing you know, you know, Landon Sims is the closer. You know, things change over the course of a season. That's what they do. And that's the best thing about having a great coaching staff and having a roster where you're recruiting at such a high level is you've got some real depth. And so when you have a guy that maybe battles with effectiveness, so you have a guy that has some, you know, maybe it's a little bit of some soreness or whatever, you can give him a weekend off and put somebody else in of comparable ability and keep a train moving. But, no, I think this team is certainly capable of going back to Omaha. Are we capable of winning it? It depends on matchups. But, yeah, this, this team is going to be offensive enough and defensive enough and have enough pitching to get back to Omaha. Long as we can stay healthy, there's no reason to think we can't do it. We can. We absolutely can get back to Omaha this year, which would be unprecedented. Four straight times. You kidding me? Maybe a chance to host another regional. You kidding me? Super regional again? You know, that's the thing. We talk about the elevation of the program. And we had a, a show about this, you know, some time ago. Guys, these are the glory days of Mississippi State baseball. They are. We can romance the 80s. You know, we never won it. You know, we went to Omaha a couple times. You know, the 90s were good, too. We went to Omaha a couple times. But, guys, you know, we consistently have become a contender in national college baseball. This is what we wanted to be, right? And that's the thing, too, and maybe because I lived through it, maybe I've got a different, you know, context through all this. But, you know, when we were rolling with Rafi and Will, it was kind of when it first started happening, like in 84, you're like, hey, what, what, what? what? Look at what's happening here. And then we expected to kind of dip off a little bit in 85, and we didn't. And we think, oh, man, even though this team has a lot of holes, and it did, don't let people convince you otherwise. We had some guys that were great defenders that could not hit their weight. But we had arguably the two biggest stars in all college baseball on the same team hitting back-to-back. And so as great as it was, it could have been better. Absolutely could have been better. And I'm not going to you know, name names and that sort of stuff because I don't want to cast any aspersions or talk negatively about guys that really contributed to Mississippi State baseball. You, know, you look at the 89 team that I contend to this day our most talented team up and down. And if I was going to pick – like, if there was a best three out of five series between 89 and 85, I'm going 89. But here's the thing about 89. Is you didn't necessarily have, you know, that shutdown guy either. You know, as a pitcher, you didn't have that guy you looked at and said, yeah, this guy's definitely going to go out and get us a win. You know, Bobby Reed, of course, you know, elevated at 90. You had Chris George. You had Tracy Jobes. I mean, you had some guys that were really good pitchers, but you didn't have that guy that was just, you know what, hey, whew. You didn't have a Ben McDonald, let's just say that. You didn't have a Paul Mahalam. You didn't have a Will Bednar. But what you did have is nine guys in that order that if you made a mistake, they would put you on Center. That's the difference between some of the Mississippi State's really good teams and great teams. Is we didn't always have great production in the bottom third of the order, and that was really the case in 85. You know, it's like sometimes those innings in 85, you just kind of endured it. You just hope to get somebody on to get the top of the order up. Didn't always work out that way, you know. But we had some guys that could really swing it on that team. 
And, uh, you know, you know, to hear Polk talk about it, you know, he, he says that he doesn't think the 81 team gets enough credit. You know, that's the, uh, you know, that's the Mark Gillespie team, right? Mark Gillespie. You know, Bruce Castoria, right? I mean, you got, you got, you got some clubbers on that team too. So we can debate that all we want. But the days that we hoped for and dreamed of are here. Oh, we won an AFL championship. And so rather than, like, be a senior-laden team that, like, gave it all to, to come back and win it, and then the program is kind of like ramshackles the next year, right? We don't – I just don't think we're going to have those peaks and valleys like we've had at times in our, in our history. You know, we have been – we were very consistent under Polk the first time. And then the second time, you know, we've kind of had some up and down. Of course, the game of recruiting had changed a lot. Took us a little while to acclimate. That didn't really get modernized until we brought John Cohen in. But it's just so interesting to think about, you know, all those years as a kid. I'm thinking, man, it's one year, one year, man, I just wish we could win it. Well, now we have, and I'm thinking, man, can we win it again? It was so much fun. Made me feel so much better about myself as a fan, as a person, that we won it. We've been such long-suffering fans, been so loyal and settled these attendance records, and now we've really got something to enjoy and nobody can ever take away from us. And so, but now that we're here, we're not going away. Got a strong nucleus of players back that have never ended a season anywhere other than Omaha. And let that think in, just, just let it sink in just for a second. We don't have a guy, we don't have a single player on our roster, save the COVID year, right? that is ever lost in the Super Regionals and had to end their season short of Omaha. That's never been done before in our history, ever. We don't have a single returning player on our roster that hasn't ended every year in the College World Series. That experience means a lot. There are a lot of teams out there that got a lot of talent. And I shared with you guys after we won it, I didn't realize what it took to win it. I, I didn't. You, you know, you think you do, you know, like, and then being there and kind of seeing it all up close and just seeing the grind of Omaha and to be there for two full weeks and all the media stuff they have to do and all the activities and there's practices and that sort of stuff, you know. There's a toughness required to win the national championship that some of our previous teams just simply didn't have. Now, we were tough. We just weren't tough enough. Or we were tough and just wasn't quite talented enough. Or we had enough talent, but, you know, maybe we were front runners a little bit. And that's not being critical. That's just being honest. This team has toughness. They know what it takes. And now that you've been there and you've done it and you've exercised some demons and you go back and you beat Texas – you, did, you didn't beat Central Connecticut. You beat Texas twice in Omaha, three times on a year. But you beat them when the chips were down. A, a team that had been kind of our postseason nemesis in our history. And then you go beat Vanderbilt. You know, so you beat you know, the Bulldog nightmares of old, and you beat the nightmares of present. You beat Vanderbilt. And it had to be Vanderbilt. It had to be. That's the only way the Mississippi State story makes any sense. And some people would say, what if we'd played Ole Miss? Well, you're an idiot. I don't want them to ever get there. 
ever. So now, no, that, that doesn't make it any better for me. It had to be Vanderbilt. And we did it. And so that's the thing when you begin to think about it. every year, every Mississippi State Bulldog baseball team in our history, other than the one that's on the field right now, has come in saying, okay, well, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year. Not these guys. And, and they're not shying away from the expectations. You can hear Luke Hancock, Cam Jameson talk about, hey, we're looking to go back to Omaha and win another one. Well, it's easier to say that when you've done it. When you've done it. Not when other people have done it. It's like the, the, the guys at LSU now, right? There's, there's some new guys there, and LSU's going to be really, really good. They are. I think Jay Johnson's going to do a great job at LSU. I really do. But they haven't done it. There's nobody on that roster that's done it. We've done it. We know what it takes. Jay Johnson knows what it takes to get there and to play for it. But he hadn't done it as head coach. Chris Simonis has. So I'm eager to see how that thing kind of moves forward. I'm, I'm really, really excited. And, again, if you can make it out tonight, go in my stead. I can't be there. Again, a 14-inning scrimmage should be a lot of fun. Uh, concessions not open. Okay, let me just tell you that now. Concessions are not open, so you need to eat before you get there. I believe the only gate that's going to be open is going to be the, um, I guess, maybe the main one or two. I don't know for certain. But it'll be a good time to get out, enjoy the ballpark. Good cheer for your team. All right, time for today's top 10 list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's right, CloseWithBlair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler, been my friend a long time. He's a lot more prettier than me. He is. I have to work a little harder than he does. He's, he's a pretty boy. He's one of those, you know, Madison County guys, you know. It's, I guess, you know, kind of how it works, you know. But uh, Blair, not just a winner in life, man, a winner – at work. You know, when I when I get ready to go do business, you know, give me the best salesperson. Give me, you know, the person that is the mover and the shaker. You know what I'm saying? And I'll do respect to everybody that's new and breaking in. I want somebody that's an experienced professional that can get things done without a lot of drama. That's what you get with Blair Chandler. 21 years in the industry, in the top 1% nationally, close ratio. Works for Fairway Mortgage, not some fly-by-night, some prowl lender. It's the real deal. And you know this guy, and he's a Boneyard listener and a Boneyard subscriber, and he's a Bulldog. Has a place here, season ticket holder in multiple sports. True Maroon, man. I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. I know many of you feel the same way. So whether you're looking to buy a house or refi a house, maybe had a second mortgage, something like that line, let, let Blair take care of you. Let Blair handle it for you. There's not a loan out there he hadn't seen. Okay, you're not going to surprise him. He's seen it all, done it all, and in most cases got it all approved. You know, sometimes if maybe you're not ready to buy a house, he can put you on the, on the road to recovery to put yourself in a position that maybe in six months to a year you could be. But give Blair a chance to help you because there's a lot of loans he can get approved that other people can't. Visit him at closeofblair.com, and if you mention to him that uh, you are a Boneyard listener. He's going to pay for your appraisal, which he tells me now is a $25 and $600 value. Let me give you his phone number, too, just between us girls here, right? So 
Call or text Blair. This is not some line to his office. This is his personal cell number, okay? 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Of course, visit him at closeofblair.com. He tells me that now's a great time to refi because rates are going to be on the rise soon. So if you're looking to maybe put your, your home equity to work for you to consolidate some debt, perhaps put in a pool, something like that. Maybe you got a wedding to pay for. Maybe you got a kid going off to college. You got to buy that that car, right? Rather than pay some high interest installment loan somewhere, maybe let your equity work for you. Blair can navigate that process with you as well as anybody. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right, so Chad, I think this is Chad Gomillion. And Chad, if I'm if I'm wrong with the last name, you have to forgive me because you know it's uh, it's tough to tell on Twitter what's a real name, what's not. Chad is out of Milton, Florida, and Chad hit me up on the Twitters earlier this week, and um, it's interesting. You'd say, well, Steve, that's this week. Well, it just happened. It, it hit me right in a sweet spot. He's like, hey, Steve, how about a Motorhead top 10? And it just so happens I was jamming Motorhead this week. So as a result, Chad, because of his impeccable timing and his incredible choice of colleges to represent, Chad, your list is coming today. Motorhead. Now, one of the things I want to tell you a little bit, Motorhead, 40-year career there, and all the original members are now dead, so there will be no Motorhead reunions. There's not going to be any, like, lost albums or anything like that. You know, Lemmy Kilmeister is is a legend, man. And uh, a guy from, from London, England, that spent the majority of his adult life, West Hollywood, California, just down the street from the Rainbow. You could go to the Rainbow, and there was, like, some video game that he played. They said you could walk in there, like, on a Wednesday. It just so happened when I was in L.A., he wasn't there. But um, he just, you could go to the Rainbow any day and go in there and see Lemmy because he just stood down to earth. And in the final days of his life, the owners of the Rainbow moved that video game to his apartment so he could play it in his final days. And we lost Lemmy back in 2015. Uh, I guess Mickey D died uh, it was a couple years ago. You know, Phil the Animal was uh, an incredible drummer. And so here's the thing, too, about Motorhead. You know, because, you know, I guess maybe my delicate South Mississippi ears, you know, as a kid, I didn't really, I didn't really get Motorhead the first time through. You know, because I wanted, you know, I guess I wanted to hear, you know, you know a little, little more, the more polished product or whatever. And, and Lemmy didn't exactly fit the... Uh, the American glam scene very well. And he rejected all that heavy metal label stuff anyway. To hear, let me tell it, Motorhead is a rock and roll band. And that's exactly what they are. And here's the thing, too. If if you play at all, you can play along to Motorhead. You might not be able to play along to Van Halen. You may not be able to play along with even some Aussie stuff. You can play along to Motorhead. A lot of it's pretty simple. And the bottom line is, is that it's not about, you know, they, they weren't technically a great band. They weren't necessarily proficient musicians. They weren't going to win any awards for that, but it's the tone and the attitude with which they played. They're a great rock and roll band, and that's the thing, too. You put a lot of Motorhead stuff on, too, and it's like you think, I've heard this song before, even if you haven't. Very, very consistent. So here we go, the Motorhead Top Ten. And, and some of you, these songs, you're not going to know, and you're going to be glad you heard them. Number 10, the chase is better than a catch, right? And you, you, we all know that, you know. It's like, uh, you know, sometimes that's just kind of how life works. The chase is all the fun. Uh, number nine, 
I'm so bad and baby don't care. Love the opening riff on that one. It's all attitude. It's so great. Number eight, Killed by Death. And I know some people might have that one a little bit higher on their list. I could have put it up there, but I just couldn't quite pull the trigger on that one. But um, again, just a great rock and roll song. Good rhythm. Great bass line. Because people forget Motorhead's a trio. And they're making this huge noise, and it's just three dudes. It's incredible. And and when you put Killed by Death on, that's where it kind of hits on. Like, really? It's hard to believe they get such a big sound out of such a smaller band. Number seven, the song Overkill. And there's a lot of things with this one, too. There's some elements of this, because a lot of people will tell you that, you know, Motorhead is kind of the godfather's of thrash like a lot of that attitude and angst and even playing faster all came from motorhead because that's what Lemmy and those guys did they played faster they didn't play at the breakneck you know thrash metal speed but they were kind of the forerunners of a lot of that in american music overkill is one of those songs i think is a part of that number six the song motorhead motorhead singing motorhead that's it's it's a Kind of an ironic situation, but the song is really, really good. Number five, kind of a tribute to the roadies across the world. It's We Are the Road Crew. Kind of a humorous song, but uh, same time, too, it's good. Good guitar. Let me lace down some great licks on this one, too, on the bass. We Are the Road Crew. The show doesn't go on without those guys. Number four. There are some people that might want to contend with me this is not a top five song. I, I would I would be willing to fight over this. But it's Hellraiser. I think it's one of Lemmy's best vocal performances. And Lem, listen, Lemmy had about a two octave voice, right? I mean he just he did he didn't have the big range and and listen, there were some times too the record companies wanted them to kind of do some more melodic stuff and they and they made Lemmy do it and it just didn't come off. It's just not who he was. You know, they tried to do the power ballad thing with Lemmy, and he just, you know, it just, that's not who Lemmy was. But Hellraiser, that's who Lemmy was. You put that thing on, you crank that bad boy up a 10, let Lemmy serenade you. Number three, and I would submit to you, based on, you know, what we've seen with video games and uh, with WWE wrestling in recent years, I think everybody would agree these top three are probably the most popular three. They may not be the best three but they're the most popular three. Number three on the list is The Game. For a long time, that was Triple H's walkout song on wrestling. Uh, It's one of those great songs, too, that existed before WWE fans found it. In fact, the, the number two, the number two, song is also one that uh, Triple H used that I, I like better than The Game, which is why it's number two. It's King of Kings. Love this song. I love the attitude. I love how in your face it is. I love the bass line. It's just one of those songs, too, that you can sing along to in the car. But number one, what else could it be, man? It was on Rock Band. I think it may have been on Guitar Hero. Who knows? But it was on the radio, and it was one of those things, even today, when I when I hear it, like I'm just kind of rolling down the road and not picking my own music. And it comes on the radio. I can't help but reach for the volume knob. And it's the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades. And it reminds me, too, for those of you that, that, were, uh, that were of the uh, 
of my age back in the Jackson area when Flinghammer was running around, you know, Corey and those guys did a great job. Like they, they did this medley of the devil went down to Georgia and then ace of spades. And it was one of the most insane things that you had ever seen in your life. And it worked so well together. Ace of Spades is an iconic song. It is the Motorhead song. It is not the only Motorhead song. So I encourage you to give this list a listen today. It is a little gruff and for in many respects, but it is straight rock and roll. And so if you're looking for a rock and roll band that didn't chase trends, it's Motorhead. Pretty consistent throughout. And again, the record companies ever so often say, hey, let's do this. Lemmy was the guy that was true to the game, man. And uh, we lost him far too young. And they, what was so crazy is, they had his 70th birthday party, and then like shortly after that, he was having like some chest pains. They took him to go check, get him checked out, and and then days later, he just wasn't doing well. And they go get him checked out again, and they find out that he's got you know uh, pancreatic cancer, and he had pancreatic cancer and like a heart arrhythmia or some some heart murmur, and then uh, you know heart failure. It was all kind of stuff, congestive heart failure, and they gave him two to six months to live. And when everybody else is freaking out, they say, let me just look at the doctor and said, so just two months, huh? And that was it. And he left. And so they tried to treat him at home, and of course he didn't make it, and died peacefully in his sleep. Uh, so let me, thanks for your contributions to rock and roll, man. Maybe today we'll uh, raise our fist in the air, and our fans can get excited about a little motorhead in your honor. All right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I will be there on Saturday from noon to 3. Come by and check us out. Come get some books. Come talk football. Whatever you like, I'll be there. We can chill. Have a good time. So, Campus Bookmart is a Stark Billigan institution. If you have not been by recently, you should. A lot of national championship wares for you there. A lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, I like to spend money in Starkville, and we're so grateful that you do. There's plenty of national championship merch to be had, and maybe you need to wear some new NAFL Championship merch when you make that trip to Duty Noble Field this evening. So when you're in town, run by and see Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, and many others, including Miss Pam Menyard. Great people selling great products at a great price. If you can't make it to town, I encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash Promo code BSR. That stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And the order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR. All right, it should be another good week of college football. We had a great weekend last weekend. Man, it was great. Great with a capital G. I mean, like, Frosted Flakes, great. I had a great time, but I'm ready to see the Bulldogs play again. It's like when you win a big game, you're like, oh, man, it's a shame that we got an off date. Might have been a good thing for us. But let's um, let's take a look. You know, maybe Alabama losing kind of gave our guys a little confidence. All right, so let's start out. There are seven games this weekend, and they're all in-conference games. So there's not really a dog of a game in the group. Maybe we want exception. So Auburn is at Arkansas. In many ways, this is a bit of a toss-up. I like Arkansas. 
I like K.J. Jefferson. I don't like the fact that Arkansas struggles to play defense. And here's what's going to happen with Arkansas. Is they're going to get into some games. They're not going to be able to score with the same proficiency. I mean, you're not going to be able to play Ole Miss every week. Everybody would love to. You're not going to be able to play that Ole Miss defense. You may not want that Ole Miss offense every week, but you love to play against the Ole Miss defense every week. But I think Arkansas gets enough this weekend against Auburn. You know, Auburn, again, you look at the Auburn stuff, you look at their schedule, it's like they're quietly having a good year, not a great year. We didn't expect a great year. They're 4-2 and two in the league at the halfway spot. So, that, you know, they certainly should be bowl eligible. But the problem is they have run out of non-conference games. You know, they got off to such a great start, you know, putting up 100 and, what, 122 points against 10, you know, against Akron and Alabama State. They go on the road and lose at Penn State. Penn State's a good team this year. They narrowly escaped Georgia State in a game that Mark Curl's crew essentially gave to Auburn. Now, give Auburn credit for coming back and playing hard and bringing, making it close, but – you know, that they give Auburn a first down there. And who's to say the next play they wouldn't have just thrown a 50-yard touchdown pass? I don't know. But the reality of it is, is Georgia State gave Auburn all they wanted and been some. And Georgia State is a running team. Auburn gets down to LSU. Bo Nix brings them back. And that's, man, that's a wounded tiger down there, man. And then they get smashed by Georgia. And so you look at it and say, yeah, they're 4-2. And, and the two teams they lost to, top 10 teams should lose to those teams, right? They were top 10 leagues when they played them. So the, the issue now becomes, when you start running through this schedule, you know, you've already played most of your pancake games. There's not a cakewalk left on this schedule. But they should be a bowl team. I don't think there's any question. I just don't know if they pick up a win this weekend. They'll host Ole Miss next weekend, then travel to A&M, and then we go there on November 13th, they will travel to South Carolina and then host Alabama. But you look at that and you begin to ask yourself, okay, which of these games will they likely be favored in? Well, they're not favored at Arkansas. They probably won't be favored against Ole Miss unless Ole Miss gets smashed this weekend. Going on the road at A&M and playing, that's, that's a tall task. Then we're going to go there, probably favored against us. They'll be favored against South Carolina. So you look at that and there's a couple of games in there. You know, so a seven and five type year, it's probably probably expected. And uh, Harson's a good coach; they'll get things going up there at Auburn. But uh, I don't know if they get it done this weekend. Florida at LSU. The LSU went to the swamp last year and beat Florida. It was a huge surprise, you know, when they did because LSU was what three and five at the time, won the last two, and at Orgeron, it's probably at its best you know, when his back's against the wall. The problem is, is that if memory serves me correct, they have now lost seven defensive starters to injury. Now, you begin to ask yourself, do you have some guys getting postseason surgery right now because the season's going in a tank and they're going to want to be healthy for NFL workouts and that sort of stuff? And, and, and maybe that's the case. I hate to assign motive, but it's incredible how this has all happened. Now, Ali Gay has been banged up most of the year. He's now out. Eli Riggs, their number two corner opposite Derek Stingley, now he's out. So, you know, this LSU defense was expected to be, you know, improved this year. Not necessarily elite, but improved. And now many of the starters on that unit 
are now done. And I don't care how well you recruit. I don't care how much culture you have. When you lose half a dozen starters on a defense, there's going to be an impact. Dan Mullen and those guys were embarrassed last year after losing to LSU. Really kind of opened some things up and kind of exposed Florida a little bit. I think the Gators get it done down there. I think everybody does. I don't know anybody that would pick LSU right now. I think even the LSU homers are picking the Gators. Now, what's interesting, too, is somebody brought this to my attention. I don't know any of the details behind this, but uh, Raisin Cane's, you know, the great chicken finger place. It's a Baton Rouge company. They've, they've ended their relationship with Ed run. To, to, does Todd and those guys at Raisin Cane's know something we don't? You know, who knows? But they're no longer doing the ad campaign with Ed Orgeron from what I read yesterday. Ed Orgeron is finished at LSU. Just he, He's quit and just hadn't left yet, you know. And he, he said last week in a press conference that, you know, hey, you know, never have a bad day at LSU. I'm head coach at LSU. And he will be rewarded handsomely and will retire a very, very wealthy man. But this thing is not working out. Uh, Texas M, A&M at Mizzou. You know, A&M's riding high right now. You, you Listen, you could see, you know, a bit of a hangover effect if you're Texas A&M. Now, as bad as the Tigers' defense is, Mizzou, that offense is pretty prolific. So you, you don't want, really want to get into a, shoot, a shootout with them. You need to be able to, to score some points yourself. You know, you hope Zach Calzada doesn't come out a little too full of himself and take chances with the football. But I still like A&M here. I do think it'll be a closer game than maybe some are expecting. But A&M should win this ball game. Mizzou was fun to watch, but um, they just are so leaky on defense. It's, it's horrendous. All right, Kentucky at Georgia. Again, Kentucky has surprised me. They are better than I anticipated. Not much better, but they are. I felt like the second half of the season was going to be a real struggle for them, and I think that begins this week, you know, at Georgia. And a lot of Kentucky people are hyped up, and we would be too, right? We would be fired up too. But if you've watched these two teams play, it's like they're from two different leagues. And to be fair to Kentucky, Georgia just simply looks better than everybody else despite the fact that they're not playing their regular starter quarterback. They can run, they can throw, they can defend, they can kick. Georgia has that look. I picked them to win the SEC beginning of the year. Thought JT Daniels would be the SEC player of the year. He's injured, and they're still rolling. I think Georgia's going to get after them pretty good. I don't think it'll be, you know, some 52-7 to ball, 52 to 7 ball game. But, you know, I, I think they'll probably score – Pretty much as, as they want to, but you know maybe it's a 28-34-10 to 10 type ball game. I just don't think Kentucky's going to be able to do much offensively. And I think in some respects, Kirby Smart and those guys at Georgia might actually expose Kentucky's offense a little bit. They've been really good at being balanced. Georgia's the kind of team that's difficult to run against, so they're going to put the game in the lap of the quarterback. We'll see how that works out. Vanderbilt at South Carolina. Beamer Ball should get a win. I don't know if you guys know this. Shane Beamer, you know, he was an assistant here at Mississippi State, married former Octavio High County Sheriff Steve Gladney's daughter. So, there, you know, there's some ties. There's some, some bulldog ties there with uh, Beamer Ball. I'm really hoping things work out well for Shane. I really like Shane a lot. Shane's an outstanding person. And, uh, you know, maybe got this job a little sooner than people expected. But – I like the way he handles himself in the media. He's very polished, and he never he tells you the truth, but he never really comes off like he's poor-mouthing. You know, they were talking about 
him against Georgia, and he's like, you know, have you seen how many players and five stars? They got 100 five stars on that team. Not true, but, you know, Shane just kind of calls it as it is. But he's very diplomatic about it. Vanderbilt is not good. Vanderbilt might keep this close for a half. But, uh, you know, again, I think the talent differential takes over there in the second half. So, I like South Carolina there. And, again, there's not a dog of a game, but this is probably the closest thing to it this week. I'll be honest with you, I don't only think there's a couple toss-ups on the schedule this week, and this isn't one of them. So, Alabama's at Mississippi State. I have looked at this and looked at this and looked at this all week, and I just tried to find a way for Mississippi State to win the ball game. And, and so here's what I expect to happen. I think Alabama's going to win. I don't think Alabama's going to cover. I think State will cover. Now, that's a small consolation for all of us who don't gamble. I, I don't really care if they cover or not. You know, win's a win. Either you win or you don't. I don't think State wins the ballgame. In order to stay, for State to win the ballgame, we're going to need Alabama to help us a little bit. We talked on Wednesday about how many penalties Alabama and Mississippi State both make. The team that plays clean, doesn't turn the football over, got a good chance to win the ballgame. But you saw last week, you know, with A&M at Alabama, you know, A&M had Alabama on the ropes twice, and Alabama kept coming. So this isn't going to be a situation where, okay, if you can get to a halftime lead, they're going to get this feeling like, here we go again. Now, here's some of the Alabama media tell it. You know, they're concerned about the ball game because they, they are a little bit leaky in the secondary. I think Will Rogers got to play within himself, take what the defense gives him. I, I, I don't think that we're going to be able to win a shootout. If this game goes into the 30s, I think we probably lose. And I am picking State to lose the ball game. But I do think – I won't be surprised, I won't be shocked if State finds a way to win the game. I believe Zach Arnett is going to have some exotic packages kind of dialed up for Bryce Young. He saw some things at A&M last weekend they'd never seen before. And that's the thing, too. This is what a good defensive coordinator will do. With a young quarterback, the good defensive coordinators will cook up some looks that guys have never seen, which will kind of influence them to hold the football longer than they normally would. You show man coverage, they think they have something, and next thing you're in zone coverage, and the quarterback has to hang on to the football like, wait, that's not what I expected to happen. Let me get to my check down. Where's my, where's my crosser here? And so with our pass rush and our relentless effort, you know, you make him hold the ball a second or two longer, you can get to him. A&M did a great job pressuring him last weekend, made him throw some balls before he was ready. And I told you guys, too, if, if you watch him on the short and intermediate passing game, the ball comes out of his hand a little bit funny. Not so much in the deeper passes, but on the underneath stuff, that ball comes out of there kind of cone down, you know. And so as a result, you know, receivers got to go down. Not a lot of run after the catch on some of those inside slants. And so – We'll watch that. Again, I will not be surprised if State wins, but I am not picking State to win. Uh, Ole Miss at Tennessee, I think this could be the most entertaining game of the weekend. And that's what we saw last week with Ole Miss and Arkansas. You know, when defense is optional, you know, when we're basically playing 7-on-7, there's going to be a lot of scoring. Here's the thing, too, about Tennessee, and I don't know that um, maybe people give this – stat enough credit but let's look at like first quarter scoring the last three weeks i think it's important for everybody to kind of understand the start i guess it's the last two weeks yeah the last two weeks um the start that tennessee has had of course you know hooker is now the starter so when tennessee played south carolina 
It was 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. 28 nothing. When they played Missouri, it was 28-3. So 56 points in the last two first quarters. What that tells me is these guys are well coached. This tells me that these guys are ready to play. And it tells me they have scripted and schemed up some things that have enabled them to get a running start into a ball game. Guys, the Tennessee-Missouri game was 45-10 at the half. And Missouri's got a good offense. Of course, they scored some points late. The final score was 62-24. to South Carolina game was 38-7 at the break. And they went 45-20. Now, granted, South Carolina nor Missouri are as prolific as Ole Miss is on offense. So they're going to make some plays. Now, I understand Jonathan Mingo is still out. Uh, Jerry and Ely will try to give it a go, you know, for Ole Miss. But it's on the road. It's tough to win on the road in this league. It's really tough when, you know, you have a defense that is kind of, you know, tackle challenged, which Ole Miss is. They really struggle. Now, I understand, too, that Tennessee is going to be short of running back. I understand that. Um, but a lot of the same concepts that Arkansas ran, Tennessee runs too. And they, I think they actually have a better brand of athlete, by and large. And that's no you know, disrespect to Burks. Burks may be the best receiver in the league. But uh, my point being is I think Tennessee offensively has a little more skill than Arkansas does. And so all Tennessee needs to do is get a couple stops. And that's going to be the issue in this ballgame is whoever gets off schedule is going to lose. And that's the thing like last week. You know, Ole Miss gets up 10 points, and then, you know, you go for it, which was stupid. Next thing you know, you're in a tie ball game. And momentums can shift in these ball games when you're prolific offensively. And there are times that Ole Miss makes it look pretty easy. You know, they'll, they'll scheme you up and basically play a two-man game, and next thing you know, uh, their guy knows where to be and yours doesn't. They win a ball game. But I don't think they win this weekend. I think the on the road, kind of banged up, and you don't you, you can't play defense. That's all we'd heard all, all year, all preseason, is that oh, the, all the defense is better. And then the media, the Ole Miss media began to report the Ole Miss defense is not very good. So what do they do? They close practices. <laughs> and you know what? You know what we see? For the first time in a long time, the Ole Miss media was correct. Ole Miss defense is not good. But that should be a fun game to watch. And, of course, uh, you know, we're going to be playing football. You know, so maybe you want to DVR that game. Maybe. But um, – you know, you look at this Tennessee team, you know, they're, they're going to be able to score some points, man. Uh, Hendon Hooker, since he has uh, taken over this year, 78 of 112 passing for 1,063 yards and 13 touchdowns. That'll get it done. Velas Jones, Jr., Mississippi State recruited him, leading receiver with 342 yards and 22 catches. So this is a Tennessee team that can score. And so it's exciting to think about, you know, how much fun the weekend could be. You know, the, the Ole Miss game on the SEC network. And so, you know, maybe we'll kind of catch some of that, the tail end of that. But, um, you know, I think that'll be an exciting game. I don't think there's any question. So running down the winners again, let's go Arkansas, Florida, A&M, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, and Tennessee. So – Kind of a mixed bag as far as like home teams and away teams uh, this weekend. But, uh, you know, again, a lot of things in this league are still up for grabs. And that's the thing you look at when you begin to think, you know, Georgia is basically about to run away with this thing in the East. And and, would, and they should. 
you know, it's like you look at the league. George and Kentucky are both 4-0, and right? Well, here's the deal is uh, Georgia wins this week. Kentucky loses. That means that Georgia, you know, basically has a game up on everybody. And most teams in their league, they'll have the tiebreaker. Because Florida's 2-2, two and two, Missouri is 0-2, South Carolina 0-3, and Vandy 0-2. And, and so you're going to see some teams in the East eliminated here before the month of October is over. Because Georgia has a chance to really put a stranglehold on this thing. And it still blows my mind to look at this, that Georgia has allowed just 33 points in six games. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And people say, oh, you know, they used to be defense wins championships. Don't don't buy that stuff. Defense still wins championships. Because everybody's a little more prolific offensively. And the teams that can play a little bit of defense and get a couple stops and get you off schedule, those are teams that win. But 33 points against in the modern day of college football, that is a remarkable, remarkable number. Looking at the, uh, the kind of the comparison between Tennessee and Ole Miss, Tennessee's allowed 129 points. Ole Miss is allowed 155. Ole Miss has scored 231. Tennessee has scored 249. So both of those numbers favor Tennessee and the fact they're home. Averaging more and averaging to giving up less. And they've won two in a row. Pretty exciting stuff. Now, look at the West. You know, basically everybody has a loss, at least one. And it's really convoluted at the top. You know, it's like everybody's like, you know, if State wins this weekend, we control our own destiny. Yeah, it's true. It's true, but I don't think anybody's expecting that. You know, it's like one of the things I think is going to hurt us a little bit is, uh, you know, LSU is probably not going to upset anybody. And I think Arkansas is kind of becoming who we expected them to be. You know, so we're not going to have – I don't think we're going to have a lot of upsets unless we're the ones doing the upsetting. So we'll kind of see how things progress. But uh, it's still very muddy. You know, of course, you still like Alabama here. I, I don't think they went out, though. I know some people are saying, oh, they'll be okay. They I don't know that they went out because uh, I don't think they're going to be able to beat Georgia. And I, I've read some things, some Alabama fans have said, oh, yeah, we'll beat them, you know, 14 points in the championship in, in Atlanta then beat them by 28 in the playoff. I, I, I just think this is a different Georgia team. Uh, by and large, I don't think there's any question. But um, here's the thing that is interesting to me, and this is one of the reasons I asked the question of Mike Leach, the way he said we'd be, we'd be the dumbest team in America if we ever look Alabama. So kind of the genesis of that question is the fact that it's like Alabama is this machine, and all of a sudden they lose. And even among the fan base, you see people like all of us, oh, we can beat them, we can beat them. So a week ago they were unbeatable, and then this week they're not, they're no longer elite. And Nick Saban made some comments about, you know, we're no longer viewed as an elite team. Nobody believes that. Now, and so you ask Leach about it just to let him address it. But it's like, you know, some of our fans act like just because Alabama had a tough game on the road that all of a sudden they're not Alabama. They're still Alabama. They're going to be a focused Alabama. They're going to come out ready to roll. They're going to come out, you know, looking for blood. we got to survive that first quarter. That's the thing. If we can come out and hit first, get a lead, survive the first quarter, and make it look like it's going to be a fist fight, then all of a sudden maybe you get them back on our heels a little bit. But uh, Alabama's not going to quit. They believe in the process. They're going to come in here and work hard. They're going to come in here and try to get a big win. Because everything that they want is still in front of them too. I mean, you got to think if they do win out and they win the SEC, they're guaranteed a spot in the playoff. If they don't win the SEC, they still may make it. But they can't afford to drop any other games. So we'll see some renewed focus. But here's the deal, too, and, and I mentioned this on Monday's show. How many times have you seen an Alabama team come out that's not ready to play under Nick Saban? 
just doesn't happen. You know, these are these are elite athletes being coached by arguably the greatest college coach in the history of the game. So they were never just going to overlook us. They were never just going to mail it in. They were going to come in here looking for blood. But, of course, now that they dropped the ball game, you know, maybe there's a little bit of panic, I guess. And I think the flip side of it, too, is you look at it if you're on the Mississippi State side, you know, I would think I would not be upset about them losing the ball game. I'd be kind of glad they did because then I could show my see kids. They're, they're beatable. We, we just beat A&M. And then A&M beat Alabama. There's no reason we can't beat Alabama, too, if we go play our game and take care of the football and execute our offense. So from a coaching point of view, you're kind of glad they had the loss. Like some of our fans are like, oh, my gosh, they're going to kill us now. You know what? And maybe they do. Maybe they do. Nobody's forecasting a win for Mississippi State when the schedule came out in this ball game. But now all of a sudden that we're playing it, we start thinking, hey, you know what? You know, they've had a really two rough outings on the road. Maybe we got a shot. When you look at how Florida has been offensively at times this year, they've been, as Dan Mullen would say, a little herky-jerky. A little herky-jerky. You look at our offense, there have been times that, you know, we've been really up and down. Play good for two quarters and don't play good for two. Or we have one quarter, we just play awful. Then you go look at the Auburn situation, kind of the same situation. And so we're more acutely aware of our issues. When we when we played A&M at their place, did you think they were a great offense? I didn't. I didn't think so. I thought we let them off the hook. I thought we should have won that game two scores. But we let them hang around a little bit, and then the referees kind of got on a roll with them late. It's only human nature. But they did. We make some mistakes. You know, we played pretty well, but we could play better. But, you know, that dog will hunt. I mean, I can sit here and say, you know what? If I'm coaching Mississippi State, my message is this. Don't relax because they're still elite. But don't panic because they're not a machine. You can do it. You can do it. We got to go play within ourselves. We can't turn the ball over. We can't, you know, be you know, getting behind the chains over and over and over again. But their pass rush has not been what it has been. Our offensive line play has been better than it has been. I think this time I put us in an article earlier this week. This time last year, we'd given up 16 sacks. So far this year, 10. So we're getting better. And considering how many times we drop back, you look at that number, the ratio compared to what it is nationally is really good. You know, percentage of sacks to drop backs. Because we throw it, in case you hadn't noticed. We're not ever going to be a balanced offense. But I think what we have to do is when they give us the opportunities to run a little bit, we've got to put those linebackers in conflict. They've got another one that's out this week. And people say, well, just put another five-star behind him. You know, if that guy was as good as the guy in front of him, he'd be playing already. A lot of people want to know what's going on with Brandon Ruiz. I'm told it'll be a game-time decision. That he can kick, it'll just depend on how he feels. When he wakes up, gets up there and gets loose, warms up a little bit. Uh, I don't know that he kicks off. You know, if he's not 100%, maybe he does, like, some shorter field goals or something like that, you know, because we're going to probably need those. I don't know that he kicks off. I don't know that he has the long kicks, you know. Uh, you know, we'll see. But it is possible that he plays this weekend. So he's not ruled out. He's ruled questionable. I guess if you would want to do it from an NFL injury report thing. Of course, Mike Leach not going to give us anything. You know, he just doesn't like to talk about injuries and – 
And unlike Dan Mullen, he doesn't talk about injuries. You know, Dan would talk about it one week, wouldn't talk about it the next, and get mad at you for asking. And then the next week he shows up, okay, injury report. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a riddle within an enigma stuffed inside of a fortune cookie with Dan Mullen sometimes. But, you know, when Mike Leach says we don't talk injuries, they don't talk injuries, period. Nobody on the staff really talks injuries either. You know, you kind of got to get it, you know, second, third hand. But um, I do think Brandon Ruiz, there is a possibility – that in a field goal situation, perhaps he could be a part of things. Again, it's just going to depend on how he feels whenever he gets on the field tomorrow night. Excited about the ball game. I know you guys are as well. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Many of you have dreamed of one day owning a place in Starkville. Maybe you want to move to Starkville. Maybe you want to have like a ball game getaway retreat here in Starkville. Maybe you just want to buy some investment property and say, you know what, maybe one day I'll just retire up there. But in the meantime, maybe I'll Airbnb it out. Maybe I'll rent it out. Maybe I'll lease it out. Portico is the best place to do that. 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus. Very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12 like going to campus. It's the very first right. That's Pat Station Road. Takes you across all West Point Road. Boom, Portico, right there. Easy to find, very convenient, close to campus, and on the right side of campus. You know what I mean? So it's not all the hustle and bustle on, on the other side, you know, as campus kind of spills in the town. It's quiet out there, right there by that Walmart neighborhood market. So you don't have to go all the way across town to buy groceries. It's right there for you. You got friends that come in from out of town to go see the ball games. There's some hotels over there, too. Makes it easy for everybody. We can all caravan to the ball game. So Exciting. If you're moving to Starville, give the folks at Portico a chance to serve you and call Brooks Bryant. Brooks Bryant, a former Diamond Dog, a guy that loves Mississippi State. He's part of this investment group that is bringing this great residential development to this neck of the woods. And so if you want to move in now, you can't. There's not a, you know, a, a place that's ready because everything in Phase 1 is now gone. Now, we've got three lots in Phase 2 that have already been purchased. Now, what you can do now is pick out your lot, pick out your floor plan, and have that home constructed exactly how you want it and how many times have you dreamed of that the dream of home ownership and then having a home that's never been lived in before it's all brand new it's all you you deserve that for yourself whether it be your first home or your final home make portico your next move by calling brooks bryan at 601-416-8075 again at 601-416-8075 all right, today's hero, today's Bulldog hero, is a more modern hero. We're going to go with Titus Brown, Tuscaloosa, Alabama native from Hillcrest High School. Dreamed of playing at the University of Alabama. Never got the opportunity. Was one of those great Sylvester Croom finds. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, Croom's Alabama roots ran so deep, and at times it, it cost us. You know, we'd go get a grandson of a guy that played with Croom or whatever, and you know, he couldn't play, but Titus Brown could play. Titus Brown was one of those guys, too, that a lot of people had kind of given up on. Sylvester Croom gave him an opportunity, and it's so crazy to think about how life works because at the time, you know, we're trying to rebuild ourselves, and, you know, we look at you know, Titus Brown as being one of those guys that, you know, we kind of snuck in. You know, it's like you take a chance on a guy like this and you hope for the best. You know, he had all the measurables. He had the film. But he didn't have a huge offer list. You know, that's the thing that you kind of begin to ask yourself sometimes. Are we really that much smarter than everybody else? 
Sometimes we are. And I'm going to go back and read a couple things with you too. That um, So the final two, Mississippi State and Southern Miss. That's who we beat to get him in the end. So Gene Swindoll, back on January the 15th, 2004, just a couple weeks before NAFL signing to that year, Gene interviewed Titus Brown about his decision. He said, mainly, talking about choosing Mississippi State, mainly it was due to Coach Crum. I haven't ever known a coach like him, and I only knew him for two or three days. I felt like I'd known him my whole life. That is what kind of person he is. We were at the luncheon. He was out mingling with the parents and just talking to us one-on-one. He called us in a room and talked to us and was told us how excited he was about the upcoming class. He's a real nice, down-to-earth guy. He stresses coaching with class and character. Now that's celebrating all that. He said, when you make a tackle, act like you've done it before. And so that's pretty much who Sylvester Croom and Titus Brown were. And so, you know, we get there, you know, Ellis Johnson's running the 4-3, cover two, basically. You know, he was a linebacker in that scheme initially. Put together, you know, pretty, pretty good couple of years at backer before we moved him to the D-line. You know, people forget he had some big plays in that Kentucky game, you know, as a freshman playing Mike Linebacker. We eventually move him to end to make a pass rusher out of him. 2006. Titus is on that team that went over there and beat Alabama. That year, Titus Brown had 14 and a half TFLs, seven and a half sacks. Comes back in 07 as a senior. 43 tackles, 13 and a half for a loss and eight sacks. Forced a couple fumbles. But when I mention the name Titus Brown, there is one game that comes to mind. I think you all remember this as well. It's that 2007 Alabama game. Talked a little bit about Anthony Johnson earlier this week. Mississippi State, Titus Brown comes off the edge there and kind of slams John Parker Wilson to the ground. The throw is wide. A.J. picks it off, takes it back. One of the greatest moments in Mississippi State football history. It was incredible. But the play that I think of Titus Brown is one that happened later in that ballgame. So I'm going to take a minute here and let's talk a little more about the uh, that 07 game before we get out of here. It's the last time we beat Alabama. Sylvester Croom's best year at Mississippi State, Nick Saban's first year at Alabama. At the time, guys, we set a school record with 56,188 fans. We've surpassed that a few times since then. But it was a glorious day, too, in Starkville. It was a day game. It was cool, but it was sunny. It was wonderful. John Parker Wilson was a guy that a lot of people knew, maybe a little bit overvalued as a quarterback at Alabama, but was the best guy they had. And, uh, you know, remember in 06, you know, we stopped him at the goal line, you know, on a late push to close the half, and uh, Alabama came away empty with that. So uh, we talked earlier in the week, uh, Anthony Johnson, you know, returns that, 100-yard interception return that prevents it from being a 16-3 game to give State a 10-9 lead. And so we get into this uh, second half. Alabama's coming down, trying to make a play, and Derek Pegues picks off John Parker Wilson. You know, they're driving down, trying to at least get a field goal and take the lead. Pegues picks it off. We take it back all the way to the Alabama 25-yard line. And then Anthony Dixon scores – Five plays later, 
It's a 17-9 ball game. So, again, you know, it's a one-score game, but it really felt worse than that. You know, that, that's the thing you look at. We're 17-9, but we had made the big play to end the half, and then we kind of bookend it with a great defensive stand to begin the second half. And so you could kind of see a little bit of panic in Alabama. Now, it was all about defense the rest of the way. Alabama kicked a field goal to make it a little bit closer, but it's 17-12. But here's the deal. This Ellis Johnson defense was absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. They never got into across the Mississippi State 45-yard line the rest of the ball game. It's pretty crazy to think about. So they only had one drive in the second half that really had any deep penetration in the Mississippi State Territory, and that was when they kicked a field goal. The rest of the drives all muddled out right around midfield or worse. Bulldog defense stood tall that day. Wesley Carroll, your quarterback, nearly set a national record tying uh, Mike Gundy, I guess. The final play of the game, and we got there and watched the clock run out. John Parker Wilson's trying to get free, and Titus Brown makes the sack. And we watched the world explode around us. And that was the ballgame. It was just one of those moments that um, you see a Tuscaloosa kid that dreamed of playing at Alabama end his career with back-to-back wins, a kid that picked Mississippi State over Southern Miss that never really got a sniff from Alabama. And he was a thorn in their side the final two years. And, and was part of laying the foundation for kind of what we enjoy today. You know, we had gone through some difficult years there. You know, Titus Brown comes to Mississippi State, you know, basically is a guy that wanted a chance to play in a Southeastern Conference. People thought he was a bit of a tweener, and he was. But it's interesting to look at him and say, hey, it's one of these deals you look at him and say, he got the last laugh. Alabama didn't recruit him, so what does he do? He's part of the team that ends the Mike Shula era and then part of the team that kicks off the Nick Saban era in Starkville uh, with a loss. And so, of course, you know, Nick Saban's not lamenting that loss today, but it's a big deal for a guy like Titus Brown. As a matter of fact, I saw him posting on Facebook earlier. And some people were saying, oh, you know, we had a bad year in 06. We lost to Louisiana Monroe. And Titus is like, hey, you should be thanking me. Because of me, you guys had to get rid of Shula and you got Nick Saban. So Titus Brown, once he was done at Mississippi State, actually spent some time uh, in the National Football League. You know, just had a drink of coffee up there. Spent a little time, you know, with the Cleveland Browns, I guess, here. Let's see. So he starts off with uh, the Dolphins and then spends a couple years with the Browns and then a year with the Broncos and then back with the Browns. And so, yeah, spent a handful of seasons in the league. Uh, was a freshman All-SEC guy in 2004 and then second team All-SEC guy in 06 and 07. Uh, just 17 career NFL tackles. But, you know, I mean, look at this. Think about it this way. This is a guy that Sylvester Crone took late in 2004. Really late. And he becomes an all multiple all-SEC performer and then gets a chance to spend five years in the National Football League. That, that's, a, that's a pretty good job evaluating there. 
So, Titus Brown, thanks so much for your contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. Hope that you get to campus every now and again. Come come enjoy a ball game with us. I would love it if you were the honorary captain this weekend. That's one thing that I'll tell you, too. A lot of people have ideas of, well, we could do this, we could do that. Guys, there are a couple things that I think we could do that would make game day really cool that, um, you know, that doesn't cost any money. You know, I think we should have an honorary captain every game. And I, and I don't necessarily mean like some kid. I, I mean, we should have a former Bulldog great at every ball game come out for the coin toss. And I know that there's been COVID restrictions the last couple of days, but we should have – we should honor somebody every ball game, whether it be Titus Brown, whether it be John Bond – you know, these guys that have had some success against Alabama, let one of those guys be the captain against Alabama. You know, let's get the mojo going in our direction. Uh, we get ready to play Ole Miss, let Nick Fitzgerald do it. You know, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. We need to do some modern guys and some some older guys because a lot of our silver-haired dogs are, are getting ready to move on to the dog pound in the sky. You know, I was, I was so privileged to do those M, M Club Hall of Fame articles and uh, – we talked about Charlie Weatherly on Wednesday. You know, it's just like I, these people, you look around, and, and with all we've gone through these last couple of years with the COVID crisis, I mean, you can't take any of your friendships or relationships for granted. And so let's do that. I wish that somebody at Mississippi State would kind of follow that lead. And and that's not to say it's anybody's fault. You know, there's so much that's going on. And, again, maybe you can't do it right now because of COVID. But once this thing begins to clear, I, I wish that we would do that, that every single home game, that we bring a Bulldog great back. And we let them be an honorary captain. We used to do that occasionally. We should do it every single ball game. Every single ball game, we should do that. Doesn't matter if we're playing Tennessee Tech or Alabama State or you know or Prentice Christian. No matter who we're playing, there should be somebody we could honor. And uh, there's so much of that. And I think we've taken some really solid strides in recent years. You know, we've got the you know the Ring of Honor at Davis Wade Stadium, and of course the the, the Ring of Honor at Dirty Noble Field, the Ron Polk. Uh, Ring of Honor, uh, we've done some really nice things, and we probably should do a little more. And I don't think you can do too many though, because of the fact that it kind of cheapens it a little bit. You know, because a lot everybody's got a favorite player. You know, everybody does. When I was a kid, um, I thought Michael Haddix was the greatest. You know, John Bond was my hero though. But it's like you know we had, you know Michael Haddix and those guys, and then of course Eric Moulds, and we had some great players. And I know that not everybody's a Hall of Famer. But there are a lot of guys that maybe won't make a Hall of Fame that could be an honorary captain for us. And, um, you know, I love it when they bring those people back. I know when they brought Eric Moulds back a few years ago, just seeing Eric on the field and seeing him nod his head and respond to our crowd was really, really big. And so, and, and bring Fred Smoot back. I don't know if I wouldn't bring Fred Smoot back for the Egg Bowl, you know. Let him get them fired up, you know. Those, those are the things that I think about. It wouldn't cost us anything, but I think would mean a lot, not just to those families, but to our family, the Mississippi State family. So hopefully we can do some of those things. And I'm not a guy that believes in getting out here and being overly critical. If I've got ideas, sometimes I'll just share them with, uh, you know, with, with friends in the administration or whatever and say, let's do this. But that's one of the things that I really think we, we could really do uh, maybe a little bit better job of. And, again, I, I don't want to cast aspersions at anybody because it might not – it may be prohibited right now. But I hope that we will get back to doing some things like that in the uh, years to come. All right, that's going to do it for today. Listen, about once a week, somebody says, hey, Steve, where can I get a Stark Villain shirt? Very simple. Go to StarkVillains.com. That is actually uh, copywritten. I got the trademark on that. 
So it's uh, my brand, it's my phrase, and uh, I, I plan to use it from now on. So, but anytime I wear a Stark villain shirt, people say, hey, where'd you get that? Other times people will message me and say, hey, I got a friend that's a big Boneyard listener. Where can I get a Stark villain shirt? It's easy. Go to StarkVillains.com. You can get t-shirts, hoodies, all sorts of good things there in a variety of colors. Well, that's going to do it for today. Man, it's been a great week. It really has. It's been a great week for us, and it uh, looks like the weather is going to be outstanding on Saturday. I hope you guys come out and be a part of that. We'll have some rain in the forecast tonight, but some cooler weather tomorrow, so maybe bring a light jacket. should be football weather for everybody. And, again, reminder, tonight from 5 to 8.30, I will be at Bookmart and Cafe downtown, and on Saturday, noon to 3, signing books at Campus Bookmart. Come by and say hello. We'd love to sit and visit with you for a little while. Let's have a good time and uh, hopefully see a Bulldog win. Although you know I'm not optimistic, I'm, and that's the first time I picked State to lose all year is in this ballgame. Uh, I'm, 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 I believe in the home team, but I believe I'm a bit of a realist too, and we should be 5-0 at this point. Should we not? Well, you never know. Maybe we can get a ball game back. We weren't expecting to win, get back uh, on track. But uh, looking forward to the second half of the season, I think this is the most difficult hurdle left on the schedule, obviously, because it's Alabama. We get through this one, I think every game the rest of the way is winnable. Not saying we win them, but I think we've got a chance to compete in every single one of those ballgames and come out with a victory if things fall just right. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.